Hello everyone and welcome once again to Ultimate Motorcycling's weekly podcast, Motos and Friends. My name is Arthur Coldwells. Motos and Friends is powered by the Yamaha R7. The R7 is part of Yamaha's R world and the R7 is your gateway to a new generation of super sport machine. In our first segment, editor Don Williams checks out the new Honda Rebel 1100T with the DCT gearbox. This is a different kind of cruiser. It certainly has some sportiness to it, and with a nod to touring, with small bags and a fairing. It's easily capable of day-long rides too. In our second segment, associate editor TJ Adams talks to A-list Hollywood stuntman Joe Bucaro. Joe has spent nearly 40 years riding and crashing motorcycles, drifting and crashing cars, and stage fighting as the stunt double for many of your favourite action stars. Joe has doubled extensively for Gerard Butler in most of his movies, Jason Momoa in the upcoming Fast and Furious 10, and also he's doubled for stars such as Chris Pratt, Vince Vaughn, Steven Seagal, and countless others. In Butler's latest movie, The Plane, Joe tells us about a two and a half minute fight sequence that they managed to shoot in just one complete take. Joe's fearlessness and incredible talents on a motorcycle, in a car, on a horse, and of course his fighting skills have kept him kind of safe over the years and still doing what he loves. This chat is a fascinating and entertaining peek behind the curtain into Hollywood and the fun of making movies. So, from all of us here at Motos and Friends, we hope you enjoy this episode. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of riders meets a new generation of super sport machine. It's called Our World, and the all-new Yamaha YZF-R7 is your gateway. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle, as well as experienced riders seeking a fully fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true super sport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque and it provides you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favourite canyon. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. We are going to talk about the new 2023 Honda Rebel 1100T DCT, which is the touring version of the cruiser that uh, Honda's had around for a few years. Uh, now, the cruiser is an unusual one. In fact, all of the Honda Rebels, the modern Honda Rebels, are unusual in that they're not V-twins. Uh, they're all, uh, well, the 300 Rebel is a, a single, and then the 500 Rebel and the Rebel 1100 are parallel twins, but they're completely different. And in the case of the Rebel 1100, it uses a motor from the Africa Twin, which is pretty interesting. Most, most of the time you don't see a, 
an adventure bike motor called to duty uh, as a cruiser motor, but that's what Honda did and actually with, with great success. It's a really fun bike to ride. Uh, the whole look of a, a Honda Rebel 1100 is unusual uh, in the cruiser world. It has a perimeter steel tube frame. Uh, again, it's not a V-twin. Uh, the way the tank sits on top of the frame is kind of cool. It looks kind of like a peanut tank, but just plopped right on top of that uh, frame. So it looks different, uh, which is kind of cool because if, it, if you have a lot of cruisers that all have the same basic styling concept and Honda came up with something and said, you know what, we're going to do something quite a bit more contemporary. It doesn't have any ties to the past and we're going to go from that, go up on that route. So the Rebel lineup has been pretty interesting from the very get-go. And uh, so this year for 2023, Honda took the Rebel 1100 DCT. Well, I suppose that's another thing I should mention is that the 1100 also had a DCT option. There's the normal six-speed transmission, and then there's the DCT transmission. Uh, now, for people who aren't familiar with the DCT concept, what that DCT stands for dual clutch transmission. And basically what it does is it allows the uh, engine to shift more smoothly between gears because you have two different clutches. You can preload you know, either the next gear up or gear, gear down, depending on how the engine's running. But even more importantly, it does the shifting for you. Uh, there's no clutch at all on the DCT, uh, Rebel 1100 DCT, or the 1100T that we'll be talking about today. But there's no, uh, there's no clutch, so you just twist and throttle and go. But it does have a transmission, still a six-speed. It's not a CVT of any sort. And it's not even like a regular automatic transmission like in a car. It's, it's, it's a manual transmission that the computer and the mechanism shifts automatically so you have that feel of a of a traditional transmission but without the uh, clutch action to go with it you know there are clutches in there but you don't have any control over them now you do have a choice of how it shifts you can use the automatic uh, mode which is what i use all the time i mean this it's a the automatic mode is great you just turn the throttle it shifts up when you go up when you let the throttle off and it starts to lose RPM, it shifts down. Everything's good, super easy to use. But if you like, and you just, just can't stand that, it also has the, or and as I'll get into, there are certain circumstances where you do want to override that. But uh, if you do want to override it all the time, you can turn the automatic function off and you can use the paddle shifters, which are engaged by your left thumb and your left index finger to upshift and downshift uh, within the parameters of what the bike is willing to do. You can't, let's say, be going two miles an hour and shift up into sixth gear. It just won't, won't go along with that. And if you're going you know, 90 miles an hour, you can't shift down to first. You know, So it's, it's not going to do absolutely whatever you tell it to, which is good, but it will do what it can do within the parameters of what is safe and, and makes sense. Anyway, so the DCT, and Arthur, you've ridden DCT bikes before. Yeah, I rode, we, we rode the, the Honda Goldwing DCT um, a couple of years ago. And where I found that the only time I really chose to override the system was under heavy braking. If I wanted engine braking um, and I wanted more engine braking than DCT would, would uh, change down a gear to, um, I could come into corners and I could then shift down before I reached the corner 
and uh, and sort of do that. So that was the only time I found it useful. But again, I didn't have to shift into manual mode. You can just override it temporarily. And then as you come out of the corner, it just goes back to automatic. It was really great. It worked extremely well. It is, it is really great. And I, it's funny, that was, of course, exactly the situation that I was going to say is where you would want to override it is when you when you want that extra engine compression braking going into a corner or just slowing down at all. Although normal slowing down, you wouldn't need it. And right. uh, and also worth noting that when you shift up or when it's shifting up, it is smooth. I mean, you it's sometimes it you know it depends on the RPM, depends on the situation, but sometimes it's almost imperceptible when it's changing gears. It just yeah. continues to go. It makes you feel like Mark Marquez. You know, one of those seamless transmission right. MotoGP bikes. It's really, it's really fantastic. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people go, ah, it's not a real motorcycle, or that doesn't count, or oh, I can't believe people do that, or, whoa, I would never want that. Almost <laughs> every one of those people have never tried it. Exactly. I'm sure there'll be somebody who would use it and go, oh, I don't like this, but they'd have to admit that it's great. Like, wow, oh, that was way better than I thought. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Even I, I'm sure, like you and I, I know Jess was, Jess, uh, Associate Editor Jess McKinley, we were all skeptical about the DCT, you know, when we first heard about it, and then we rode with it, and we're like, oh, wow, this is pretty good, and that was the original version that was in the uh, the 1200 Sport Touring Bike, and uh, that was a relatively primitive version of it compared to what how it is now. I mean, it's so yeah. much smoother now, shifts better now. Yeah. downshifts far better now just a better system than what it was over you know, it's been 12 years i think now since it debuted and honda hasn't made a big deal about it but they have constantly refined that system and it's you know i don't want to say it's near perfection because you never know what's coming next but it's it's excellent it's really good yeah now i've set the table for the rebel 1100 uh, DCT, which is the cruiser version. Well, Honda has now added a T to the 1100. And obviously, I think we all would know that that would mean touring. And Honda did not go overboard turning the uh, Rebel 1100 DCT into a, an 1100T DCT uh, bagger. Uh, all they did was put on a pair of bags and a small bat wing style fairing. And that's it. That was, that was all Honda did. And what they also did was a little bit interesting is they didn't just dip into their accessories catalog because Honda does have bags for the 1100, standard 1100. And they also have a, a little fairing for it, but they're totally different. They're not, the, it's not the fairing, it's not the bags that are on, on the 1100T. So they, they didn't just say, well, we're gonna add some accessories, call it a new model and we're good to go. They, they made what I would say is a new model by making new parts that go on. And as I said, the front fairing is small. It's mostly a body fairing. You know, it just makes it so that when you're riding the bike, you're not taking a, a lot of hit to the body because on a bike like this, you know, you're sitting upright. I mean, the bars aren't super high. They're not like mini apes or anything like that, but they're, they're up, you know, in a, a kind of a normal position, uh, stand, let's say standard position foot pegs slightly forward and so you're sitting up right and so you're you're taking a lot of wind at, at highway speeds the fairing that they put on there protects your body from that and directs there's a lot of wind on your head but it's not turbulent wind it's a very smooth uh, you know application of the of the wind to your head so it's not 
it, you know, it doesn't beat you up or, or wear you out. It's, it's actually pretty good. And on a warm day, uh, you would of course like it more because you're gonna get more airflow to your head and that, that will keep you cool. And okay. so that's how they did that. Now in the back, they put uh, plastic bags on there. And I gotta say, plastic bags are pretty cheap. <laughs> They're not right. some deluxe I items that you're gonna go, wow, these are cool. Wow, they really went overboard <laughs> in this. It's like, they went kind of underboard. <laughs> and the, the, the worst part about them, I mean, they're small and you can't, I, I was able to get my uh, 11 inch Chromebook in there if I put it in diagonally, you know, so you'd have to really okay carefully put it in only on the left side, the left side, because the exhaust is on the right side. So the right side's a little smaller, the back the left side's okay. a little deeper. You couldn't put like a standard size uh, laptop in there, but you can put like my Chromebook, which is a medium, medium size. And then uh, you can put like a tablet or your phone, <laughs> you know, those will all fit, but you're limited in what you can use. And, and Honda, to their credit, they don't call this some, you know, long distance transcontinental touring bike. You know, they have the, <laughs> the gold link for that. This is right. like a, hey, I'm gonna go overnight or I'm leaving on Friday, coming back Sunday, going for a ride somewhere. And uh, it's got a solo seat, so you're not taking anybody. So you don't, you know, need to pack for a lot of extra, you know, for a second person, it's just your stuff. And you know maybe a little bit of electronics again, a small laptop or, or or tablet will fit. Now, one of the interesting uh, you know back to the the fairing. Now moving back up to the front, the fairing and the ergonomics. The ergonomics are almost like a standard bike. It's not hugely cruiser like. Your feet aren't super far forward. Your your hands aren't particularly high or forward, or unusually back. It's a pretty comfortable normal sort of seating position that that if you're used to just standard type motorcycles that have been around forever that that you go oh, well this feels about right yeah my feet are a little far forward but it, this feels very familiar you know it's this is not a, any sort of excessively cruiser like cruiser again it's honda doing a contemporary take on the cruiser that just approaches it from a different way than a harley davidson or an indian or bmw or uh, you know, people that are trying to do the more traditional style. So when you ride the bike, you start thinking about this. It's like, oh, well, I've got the seating position that's kind of like a standard, you know, not exactly but close. And I've got a motor from an adventure bike <laughs> and it revs. So you can ride this bike pretty fast. Wow. Uh, interestingly, Honda limited electronically limits the bike to 100 miles an hour. And I found that out on a closed course, of course, never on a public road. And, <laughs> right. and, but if you're in sixth gear, when you hit 6,000 RPM, it just starts like you hit a rev limiter. And that's exactly at 100 miles an hour. And what's funny is that the speedometer is one of those digital readouts. And they Honda bothered to put the one. So it's one and then zero, zero. And maybe if you're going downhill, it might hit 101 or something on this closed course. And, uh, you know, it's like, I was thinking, well, why didn't they just save money and just have two digits and just stop it at 99, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but anyway, so, and, and, I, and I will say, it, once you get up to that speed, the front end starts to wander a bit, and, which is kind of unhonda like but it's, it's almost like they knew, and they said, you know what? This is where the bike starts to not be as stable as, as we at Honda think a bike should be. And so this is as fast as you can go on it. 
But realistically, not too many people are going to ride a Revel 1100T DCT that fast, you know, but you can, and it's, it kind of encourages it with the, you know, because that's only at 6,000 RPM and the red line's up at 8,000. So, you know, it's not like it's, you're revving, you know, the engine to the, to the maximum when you get to the maximum speed, it's, it's still got a lot of revs left, you know, so it could go another, it could go 130, I suppose, if it, let, if it would let you go to the red line. <laughs> so, but anyway, so Honda steps in and stops that. But when you're going through the, the twisties, I went up, I took it up on a, like a 200 mile, excuse me, a 400 mile ride to visit my sister. And uh, that included Highway 58, which is a famous uh, road between McKittrick in the Central Valley of California and Santa Margarita, which is uh, just inland from the coast, you know, Pacific coast at the uh, US Highway 101. And it's, it's an interesting road. I, I, it's one that I, I think anybody that rides a motorcycle would love because there's three different distinct parts if you're leaving from the Kittrick as I did. And uh, that was after I did some long interstate, not a lot, super long, but you know, decent interstate droning all the way from the San Fernando Valley over the Ridge route and then down into the Central Valley. And you know, the bike was just super nice to ride like that you know if you had to ride all day on the freeway you're good and there's plenty of power to deal with the diesel trucks and stuff and you can set the cruise control at 80 and just take it easy and feel good so oh did i say 80 oh no the speed limit is 70 you should set it at 70 you would never want to spend it set the speed limit over the speed limit anyway so well, maybe the, maybe the speedometer was reading in kilometers per hour no, I don't think so. <laughs> but anyway, it, it, it will it will it will cruise at whatever speed you like and feel good about it. And uh, so anyway, so you get out of here and I, you know, went on the Highway 33 a bit and that's a little bit rougher road. And you got to find out that the suspension is not the greatest, not terrible. And it's actually good, but it's not awesome. It's not like the super cushy ride. It's it's not like a touring ride. It's more of a, a cruiser ride. Where you kind of feel the bumps you know it of course it, being a honda it takes the edges off the bumps and uh you know it doesn't jolt you or anything so you know it's a twin shock design but it it's not like this plus touring suspension so anyway so i get to the 58 and as you know you kind of go out on a, on a, a fast portion kind of going uphill into the mountains and then there's a big twisty 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 part then it drops into this area by uh the Carrizo Plain uh, National Monument, which is an incredible dry lake bed and, and all these architect architectural, all these, uh, shoot, what's what I'm looking for? Ge all these geological features that are really amazing because it's right at the Andre San Andreas Fault. And so, I mean, you can go stand with one foot on one plate and one foot on the other, if you like, in there. So you go by there and then it flattens out. You go across this long valley which is now the Valley of the Solar Panels. There's solar panels everywhere out there. And pretty soon I think that's gonna be all that's there. And uh, it used to be ranches and, and things like that, but now it's solar panel ranches. They're ranching, ranching for solar. And then it goes back up into the mountains for the kind of the best of the twisty part, the longer part until it takes you into Santa Margarita. And which is great about the uh, Rebel 1100T is that it's great in all those areas. It was great in the first twisties that some are super tight. And then it was great on the big flat, smooth area across to the next mountain range. And then that one's a bit faster and slower, flowier. 
and it was great. And so you're, it's like you're riding, not a sport bike exactly, but you're riding like kind of one of those upright, uh, almost like a, you know, you're riding like an upright retro bike where they just kind of have that really classic position. You're like I said, your feet are a little forward, but not bad. There's tons of cornering clearance. Uh, I mean, you can, you can touch, but man, you have to be really dedicated to what you're doing to lean it over that far. So in the reality of normal usage, you can lean the bike as far as you want and it, it sticks and it feels good. It feels like a Honda, you know, Honda always has the great, uh, uh, handling they always have that down and so this bike is no ex exception it just handles great in the twisties and you you're not giving up a lot you know and the fact that you don't have to shift is great you know you're, you're not you're, your left hand is not occupied pulling the clutch dealing with that you're just holding on moving it you know really focusing on what your you know your technique is braking points acceleration you just twist and throttle you don't have to do uh, much in that. Now, this is where we get kind of into the use of the of the manual downshift. The the uh, 1100T only has like this cruiser version only has a single disc brake and, and up front, and that's just not a lot. <laughs> you know, it's it's good. Again, it was good for the cruiser around town. It's perfectly fine riding around. You're good, but at the higher speeds that people cruise or you know tour at, you know, on big freeways maybe out in the hinterlands like this on faster roads, it, it could use more braking power. It just, it just could. It's not bad. Again, it's just not like, you don't have that feeling that you get with double disc brakes. That, you know, it's like you can kind of almost tell if, even if you can't see them. When you're pulling on double disc brakes, it's a different feeling than on a single. And this single one just doesn't have that confidence. Now, the good news is, is that the rear brake works really well. There's plenty of rear braking power to help you along, uh, you know, to, to, to uh, you know, drop things down. It's a 256 millimeter disc, not particularly big. The rear tires are 180, not particularly big either, but you know, just how Honda works that it, it, the rear brake works. And so, you know, you can use that to help you. And then you, of course you can use the manual downshifting to additionally help, you know, doesn't help, help decelerate. And it's not something that comes up all the time, but every once in a while, you'll just get, what would happen for me is I'd come into a corner thinking like, this is, I'm going at this speed. Okay. Now I would break. And I was like, well, when I'm breaking, it's like, well, it's not really breaking as much as I would like it to break. So you just kind of push down on the rear brake and uh, that usually is enough. And, you know, somebody like you, Arthur, who is faster than me and pushes a little bit harder, you would be more likely to be using the downshift feature than, yeah. than I would. So and, I found that, yeah. Yeah, and I think most people who ride probably would would rarely use it for that. You know, I, I think that the, the rear brake is, is adequate. And I know you're not a big rear brake fan, but I am happy to in, to use the rear brake when it's necessary. Yeah, I, I use it depending. But, at, but I mean, at the risk of quoting you back at yourself, if you really want to ride this bike hard, you're probably riding the wrong bike. You should buy one of the other models. Right. Yeah, if you if you're if you're exceeding what that 330 millimeter front disc can do, and the rear disc and the downshifter, you just buy an Africa Twin, you know, which is a pretty cool sport touring biker, and or wait for Honda if they ever will get around to it, put out that NT 1100, which is basically this motor in a sport touring frame, 
which they have in Europe now, which we've been bugging them about and they act like, well, I don't know. And it's like, come on, come on. <laughs> and it's and one of the kind of funny things about it is the, the uh, Honda uses the Dunlop D428 tires. Now, I'm sure you're sitting there looking at this. What is a Honda D or Dunlop D428 tire? No idea, right? Because this is not what anybody talks about. Basically, it's the Dunlop Elite Four, but fine-tuned for the you know the the OEM application here. So it's it's a Dunlop Elite Four, which we know is a good tire. So you know. It's funny when you hear D428, you're kind of like, uh oh, is this going to be any good? And then, but if somebody said, oh, it has Dunlop Elite Fours, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. so, but when I was riding, it was clear that the tires were premium tires, you know, it, within the realm of, you know, they weren't Q5s, but that they would be more than adequate for what they need to do. And they need to do more in some ways than on a lot of cruiser or, or you know, cruiser style touring bikes or traditional full dresser type touring bikes or even the baggers because this bike leans over a long way so you're you're going to be more interested in edge grip than you would you know on a on a more traditional bagger that has limited cornering clearance so uh you know the bike that kind of wraps up the bike in a way i mean it's it's very fun to ride it's for some, somebody coming from a sporting background they're going to get on this and go wow, this is pretty cool. <laughs> I can go way faster than I thought. I don't have much top speed, but I can certainly run through the twisties with, with any, any cruiser bagger type bike. And, uh, you know, you might not right. be carrying as much stuff with you and you don't get as the big wind protection that you would on, on some of the bikes, but you get enough, you know, you get enough bags for the weekend, you get enough, uh, fairing protection to help you on the freeway but still provide plenty of air and that kind of, you know, good feeling, uh, you know, when it's, especially as I said, when it's warm, uh, you've got the seating position. It's completely comfortable, not extreme in any way. And so, and you've got a motor that likes to rev and, but still has, you don't have to worry about the low end power so much because the DCT takes care of it making, it's not going to bog or it's not going to have any problems. It's always going to be in the right gear. So there's a whole lot to like about this bike. If right. you are willing to step outside of the traditional bagger style, you have to be willing to do that. You know, you can't say, I got to have a V-twin, because if you have to have a V-twin, then this bike is not the bike for you. But the, uh, one of the things that might attract people to it <laughs> that would be, uh, you know, a, a deal maker is the price is $11,299. Now, you're not going to get any other bagger for anywhere near that. Not anywhere near that. Wow, that's very inexpensive. Yeah, and it's, it's a good-looking bike. It's it it does have street cred to it. I think. I mean, it looks good, and it's got some road presence to it. It's a decent-sized bike. So, were you finding that people sort of commented or gave you thumbs up or anything? Yeah, that's kind of the funny thing. I I think in the world of motorcyclists, a lot of people would would discount this bike and go, "Oh yeah, Honda Rebel, blah blah," you know, uh, parallel twin. Normal people just as you're riding around and stuff, look at the bike. Oh, cool bike! You know, it's like people sure. do like it. Now I had the black version, metallic black, so it, you know, it looks a bit menacing because it's all blacked out. I mean, the motor's black, the frame's <laughs> black, the seat's yeah. black, the fairing's black, the bags are black, the wheels are black, the exhaust is black, everything is black. 
so uh you know it, it has a cool look and and you know i i, I talk about this often so people listen to podcasts kind of i'll be a broken record here but you know a big part of riding motorcycles being cool and i like to be cool and yeah. i'm not gonna you know pretend otherwise it's not often that honda and menacing are said in the same sentence but uh, right and yeah, yeah, it okay. wouldn't be menacing if you're a Harley owner, you're not going to look at the bike as menacing. But if you're the average person, you're going to go, whoa, it, it has a custom look to it because of that all blacked out right. style. Yeah, and good it, for them. That's great. And it somehow looks different. You know, like I said, the way that tank sits on top of the, the two frame tubes just kind of stuck on there. It looks like somebody just said, oh, well, there's a tank. Let's, and I mean this in the best way. Like, let's just kind of stick it on there like on a custom bike. And Part of the reason they did that is it makes it easier for customizers to do just that, you know, and put different different uh, tank on. The Honda's really has pushed people to customize this bike with mixed results as far as how much you see it, but it's because it's inexpensive too. You can you're starting with a much cheaper, you know, your, your budget to 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 modify is is much yeah, larger. Your baseline is a good place to start with. Yeah. Yeah, and so. I, you know, I, I was at I was at the gas station at New Kayama. Are you familiar with that? Very familiar with it. Yes. Okay. Uh, for people who don't know, New, New Kayama is on this stretch of the of California Route 166, which runs from uh, nowhere to nowhere, basically. And uh, it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's it's through a bunch of kind of ranches and agricultural area, it, through a valley, and then it dr drops into the Central Valley after that. Sure. And, there's really, you know, nothing out there. It's a, a pretty windswept area. I mean, the population has to be, you know, a couple thousand over, you know, hundreds of square miles. So I, the gas station there, I, I kind of make it a habit to stop there because the gas station, there's not a lot of choices out there. And I kind of want to keep them in business for when I need them. So when I go through there, uh, I stop and I put gas in the bike just to make sure that that gas station is always there when I need it. Because as I've said, it's been there when I would have liked to have had it there. It wasn't there when I would have liked to have had it there, but there's people running it now and that's good. But I was there. So I stopped, parked the bike. I had a Scorpion XOR1 carbon fiber helmet, uh, you know, full face helmet, which you kind of wouldn't normally think of that as something you would wear on a cruiser. But this has that kind of steampunk, steampunk look where it's kind of retro, kind of, you know, contemporary. And so the carbon fiber actually works, works well with the bike. So I have that on and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pulled off, I'm pumping gas and it's, it's, it's in the nineties, 90 degrees. And uh, it, the wind's blowing and this guy in a SUV comes up and he's got his wife and his mother, mother-in-law in, in the car. And he just looks at me and you could see that that guy was thinking, man, that guy has the life. <laughs> he would have done anything like, oh God, can I please switch with you? <laughs> you know, he was really like, he's looking at the bike. He was looking at me standing there, putting gas in it and thinking about, wow, this guy, he's, he's doing, you know, it's like then came Bronson or something, you know, it's like, you're just out riding and it's nineties in the nineties and it's windy and you don't care. And, you know, and he's in his SUV and he's got separate air conditioning for each, the passenger in the back, back seat, everybody's, <laughs> you know, and everybody's probably got earbuds on and, you know, it, it's all this. And I'm just, you know, out there riding the motorcycle you know i didn't even have a leather jacket on you know i had i had like a, a semi mesh because it was it was hot you know and again this doesn't require a leather, leather jacket to ride you know so anyway so the bike 
gave me that moment of like, oh yeah, I'm cool. This guy is admiring what I'm doing and what wishes he were me for that moment, you know? And right. so that was, that was pretty cool. And to be, like I said, there were just other places where people saw the bike and they just looked at it. You could tell them looking at it going, I'm not familiar with what that is, but that's pretty cool. I like that. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's kind of the story of the Rebel 1100 T DCT. It's not this giant, giant leap from the standard uh, Rebel 1100 DCT, but you know, the, just that addition, the ability to carry stuff with you is great. You know, on this day, the day I was riding when that long ride, it was a little cool through the mountain. So I brought different layers and stuff just in case, you know, but it did, didn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that cold. So I was fine. But if it, if there was a wide variety of temperatures, you know, I, I can carry that stuff with me easily, throw it in the bags. And if I was on just a regular, you know, 1100 DCT rebel there, I couldn't carry anything, you know, there'd be nothing to carry it on. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, a very, very Honda-like functional motorcycle. And not everybody wants like the pure function. And this kind of has that. And, but it still has, you know, thanks to the style, you know, people, a look that will appeal to other people looking at you, gives you that sense of, you know, pride in ownership and pride in who you are. And I'm a motorcycle guy and this is cool. And so- uh, that's and it's at an incredibly low price for what it is to me it is okay all right hey thanks it, it sounds great okay in our second segment associate editor tj adams talks to a-list hollywood stuntman joe bucaro joe has spent nearly 40 years riding and crashing motorcycles drifting and crashing cars and stage fighting as the stunt double for many of your favorite action stars. Joe has doubled extensively for Gerard Butler in most of his movies, Jason Momoa in the upcoming Fast and Furious 10, and also he's doubled for stars such as Chris Pratt, Vince Vaughn, Steven Seagal and countless others. In Butler's latest movie, The Plane, Joe tells us about a two and a half minute fight sequence that they managed to shoot in just one complete take. Joe's fearlessness and incredible talents on a motorcycle, in a car, on a horse, and of course his fighting skills have kept him kind of safe over the years and still doing what he loves. This chat is a fascinating and entertaining peek behind the curtain into Hollywood and the fun of making movies. The bug to become a stuntman started when I saw Evil Knievel. My grandfather, I mean, I have a grandfather and uncle took me to see Evil Knievel at the old Chicago amphitheater when I was eight years old. And that started, you know, started the bug for sure of wanting to become a stuntman and then seeing behind the, you know, Hooper with Burt Reynolds and then behind the scenes making of um, Indiana Jones, Terry Leonard doing all the stuff underneath the truck, you know, with the horse and all that i mean just right there and uh i raced go-karts and always did motorcycle stuff you know growing up as a kid and i was i had a 1984 ninja 900 and i was doing wheelies you know going through every gear setting the front end down at uh, like 120 miles an hour but i was starving the the motor for oil because that does this angle now they you know they create 
like wastegates in the bottom part of the motorcycle pan so that doesn't happen. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so doing wheelies and all that. And, and, you know, just went out to L.A. after doing some live shows in Florida and just, you know, got a big break double Steven Seagal. And uh, that was the early 90s. And, you know, never, never looked back. And, uh, you know, motorcycles have always been, you know, part of my blood. And then to see some of the, you know, the iconic motorcycle movies, uh, motorcycles in, in scenes and film, you know, the first one I think everyone relates to is uh, Bud Eakins doing the big jump in The Great Escape with yes. Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen, yeah, that is. Uh... And, and then, you know, then you got Wild Bunch, you know, and then uh, uh, what's the other one? Easy Rider. And as we all know, that that movie kind of gave motorcycles and clubs kind of a bad, bad deal. Yes. <laughs> and but now that we know, you know, I mean, look at the rock store. You got every kind of motorcyclist going to the rock store in Malibu for, for just getting together and having coffee and bike talk with the boys and then riding those epic Santa Monica canyons, you know. Yeah, it's the best place for that. And you meet such an eclectic range of people, all sorts of people. Once you take the helmet off, see Matt LeBlanc there and Alonzo Bowden, yeah. all sorts of people. You sort of say hi yes. and then realize, oh, I've seen you somewhere before. Yeah, exactly right. You know, and uh, as we know, Jay Leno and Schwarzenegger and James Cameron goes up there. Uh, um, uh, Keanu. You know, I know Gerard Butler, who I've been doubling lately. Well, yes, that's how I met you. I saw you there and you are, you know, you look yeah. just like Gerard Butler and you've doubled for him in, is it's a few films now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And actually we got a, a good film coming out called Kandahar in a couple of weeks, I think, that we shot in Saudi Arabia. And I threw around a plethora of vehicles in the sand, all, all four <laughs> wheels. And that was really fun. You know, we're doing, you know, 100. 30 140 miles an hour at times and drifting and sliding just you know a lot of a lot of fun stuff i'm interested to know what gerard butler's like because i've not met him and he seems like fun you know you as a as a lay person you have this preconceived idea of what people are actually like when you see actors etc so what is he like to work with he's great i mean it really is he's a gem to work with there's there's no attitude he has fun he he, you know as I do I think we both have childlike qualities <laughs> and you know he just he's just a, a great actor and, is, and he's a global icon as an actor where yes. you know I, I used to do a, a, a double Vince Vaughn for 22 films and, and a couple with uh, uh, Will Ferrell and those guys you know they're just all kind of in the domestic box office success where Jerry you know, uh, uh, Gerard is and Liam Neeson and The Rock and Jason Statham. You know, these guys are all global successes. So they're really, you know, they're spread out throughout the world and people enjoy their all the perform. But yeah, Gerard's just he's great. He's, he's really yeah. a, a pleasure to double. And you uh, named a few of my favorites there. I, re I don't know if you recall, but when I when I first started chatting to you, I'm not shy, not backwards at coming forward. <laughs> we were talking about because I'd read that he'd had a particular, Gerald Butler had had a particular type of training to get a fitness um, showing muscles for the film, The 300. And, and I had tried to copy the Turkish lift, is it, where you get up off the ground without touching in a certain way. And we were having right. a chat about that because you'd have to keep really fit for the sort of work that you're doing. 
Uh, yes and no. <laughs> I, I, I definitely didn't double him on a 300 with that body, nor ever could I. <laughs> but uh, uh, you I'm know, sure they polished he, him up a bit. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. And, and, but he worked hard to do that and look that way for sure. You know, and he, he even looked good in a law abiding citizen. That was the first one I doubled him on. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, you know, he rides too. And, and he, he's, he loves touring the canyons as well um but um you know the, the back to the, the to the films you know uh some of the iconic motors so yeah we got buddy because then and then the guys that are doing the motorcycle stunts in our industry usually definitely come from some sort of racing background in either two or four wheels obviously more two wheels like jay and roberts is a is a is a famous desert racer. I mean, this guy won multiple desert racers and he was, you know, definitely a phenom for his time. And he had a son, Jimmy Roberts, who's a very good buddy of mine. And he does, you know, he did the great motorcycle work in True Lies. And then anytime you have seen um, Tom Cruise on a motorcycle the past 15 years, it's it's Jimmy Roberts. So oh, he's, nice. given, he's given us a lot of fun work too. And and then, uh, uh, you know, the, the work in Terminator on the on the Harley, that was some fun stuff, too, the first one. Yeah, that's iconic. Uh, I mean, it's the second one, actually, yes. Uh, it, it was great. And and that the big jump from the uh, bridge to the L.A. River, that was done on wires, but it was really a seamless special effects gag. Yes, wow. And, uh, and then actually, when they did, they did the Terminator 2 in 3D ride, for all the Universal Studios theme parks throughout the world. And I actually doubled Arnold for the eight minute film version of the 3D part, which is still to date the most expensive piece of film ever made. Eight minutes was like $40 million. Good grief. Yeah, and it was all in 3D. <laughs> Astounding. And, yeah, and, and that was, uh, the coordinator knew my motorcycle work and, and he wanted me, could, you know, could I wheelie the bike? and do some drifting and I said yeah I could just you know give me give me a half hour in a parking lot and I'll figure it out and then James Cameron didn't want the wheelie but we did this really neat cable off and a cable off is where so I took this Sportster Harley and then we put a uh, no a fat boy Harley and we put a Sportster front end and there was cables attached to the uh, uh, gooseneck of the uh the triple clamp of the motorcycle and then cables go down in front of the front axle and then to the rear uh axle and then to a spreader plate to a larger cable and that's tied to a bulldozer and in the middle of the the cables is a couple tires so what i do is i go like 100 feet at 35 miles an hour to the end of this cable <laughs> and it propels me forward and we scored the bars underneath. So when my thighs, if they hit it, we just rip the bars away. And then uh, I eat shit to the ground, which we buried a, a, a little eight inch pad underneath the dirt. And uh, that's what we call a motorcycle cable off. <laughs> Gosh, wow. Yeah, I that's have very, no idea. I'm sure and, a lot of people Jim, listening would have no idea. No, and, and Jimmy Roberts, Jimmy Roberts, the other guy I mentioned was he was on the back doubling little John Connor. And uh, he wasn't on the back for the gag, but we still laugh about that because, you know, I was riding uh, the bike and he's on the back of my motorcycle and he's used to doing all this stuff. So it was, 
I kept riding his ass a little bit about that. That would be more scary, I would think, being on the back. I mean, do you do you get scared yourself when you're about to do a stunt, or are you just in the zone? Yeah, you're in the zone. I mean, there's always a little, you know, excitement and trepidation. You know, the, the X factor is alive and well in our business, and anything could go wrong. Uh, matter of fact, I had a wild incident happen in uh, India last year with a special effects gag gone bad and uh, I had to be on my toes for that and it could have been really ugly. What happened there? What was the film? It's a, a Indian movie. It was, it was the, the largest action sequence we've ever, uh, India's ever shot. It's a movie called Juwan and I don't even know when it's going to be released but uh, let's just say it was it was a f- interesting situation. <laughs> Come on, spill the beans. <laughs> Give us an outline. Did you fear for your life? I could have lost it three times in five seconds, but it was, uh, uh, you know, God was with me. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. It was, uh, it was wild. Just, and this, this is what happens in our business. You know, the X factor, you just don't know what, what can go wrong. You think everything's set up, you know, you've done the physics, you, 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 you've rigged it right, but something, you know, that's why well, we do stunt, you know, it's, it's stunts. It's can be some dangerous stuff sometimes. You just don't know, man. Do you get involved in as much as, do you have a say in sort of um, the physics if you look at something and go, that's not going to work? Or or check it all over to see what you think? I mean, you know, flinging a Harley Davidson off a ramp is like a hefty bite to be moving around. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you're you're the performer. Uh, You talk to the stunt coordinator, the special effects coordinator, and you're all, you know, chewing the fat together, thinking of the, 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 the pros and cons of what can go wrong and you know what should go right and but you never know you know and And do you sort of say can you adjust this or i think that should be the other way around or you have a say in what what they're sort of setting up absolutely then you go for a feel thing as a motorcyclist you know you know how what the bike does and what you want it to do and you know so like for setups uh uh we're doing taking of pelham one two three in new york city Oh, I love that film. Yeah, and we had eight motorcycle cops, right? And they were all BMW G, uh, uh, RT 1200s, right? And the stunt coordinator uh, had me wrangle some of the guys. And he goes, hey, listen, we got, you know, we're shooting in April and some night shots. And, you know, and when you're doing second unit directing, a lot of times the directors like to wet down the streets. It gives it a good look. So now motorcycles, wet, you know, April, New York, <laughs> cold. There's a lot going on there, right? So I told uh, Chuck Paterni, our stunt coordinator, I go, Chuck, if you want half our talent, you'll leave the stock tires on. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, we need some racing uh, Dunlop or Pirelli or Michelin rain tires, whatever can fit on these bikes. And I did my research and actually we used them. Uh, we used Michelin rain tires front and back. And nice. it was great. It was, it was, you know, it helped a lot for the rain. And, and then we did that on uh, Ninja Turtles in Buffalo too. I kind of started this little craze. And then uh, I recently doubled Jason Momoa on uh, Fast and Furious 10, which is coming out next month or a couple of weeks, I don't know. And that was in Italy with all the cobblestone streets. And, and I said the same thing, the stunt coordinator, I go, let's, we got to get those rain tires on the bike to really, you know, stick to these these roads and we use the new harley pan-american 
Oh, I love it. Yeah, for the for the gags for all that movie, going upstairs and drifting and sliding and 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 then the the woman character is chasing Jason through the streets of Rome, and we used two people for that. That was uh, Brittany Marcotti, and then Artus Stenberg, who's this kid out of Finland we found on YouTube, and he does this really neat nose wheelie gag that you'll see in the film and it's done in one we call it a oneer and you know we hope the editor doesn't you know cut it up too much where people are going to question okay is that cgi or is that was that a real practical gag which by the way we're all you know i'm a 32 year veteran stunt man and all my you know all the my guys we work with we talk about it you know we're just really over the computer generated imagery that they use in a lot of the fast furious and car action movies and you don't know what's real anymore it just kind of pisses us off yeah muddies the waters because you know it's true grip for you guys you're actually taking the risks and doing ridiculous things right we went back to the practical gags you know if you remember the bullet with steve mcqueen you know you can see the stunt guys and Steve push the car and, and where it's not this controlled wicked drift you know and, and boom he hits hits a parked car and it backs out of it then the chase continues and just real stuff like that yeah real men stuff <laughs> yeah yeah but you know the studios know what the kids like and you know is what it is but this next fast and furious is definitely uh more of the practical stuff which is great It's good to hear that it, that we're watching actual stunts. It's good to hear because then you're inspiring. Like you saw Evil Knievel yourself, and that's what you wanted to do. And it's it's a realistic gold for people who want to try stuff like that, or even get into the industry, doing it for a living. Yeah, it is tough, and you know the streaming has changed a lot of stuff. You know, for us, I remember what Napster did to music. Well, the streaming has kind of done that in our business too, on the on the the back end of money things and how we're paid and there's a lot of things have to be addressed there but that that's getting off subject i don't want to get into that more importantly is what you're actually physically doing i mean that sounds like an amazing life yeah the the you know i'm 59 years old and, and thank god i can still do a lot of four wheel and two wheel vehicular work which i've been doing a lot of that the past 10 years and and uh you know the more you can do as a stunt man the you know the more tools you have in the bag the more you you'll be able to work right yeah sure that's what i was told from day one. and as a tall guy you know I'm, i was an athlete too and uh so hitting the ground is no problem and doing high falls and fighting and you know air rams and i ride horses too and all that you just you know the more you talents you have the more you'll work in the business and as i'm you know and older aging meat puppet now the vehicular <laughs> jobs are definitely the, the the fun stuff to do <laughs> a meat puppet i've been an extra and we were called the cattle i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> or eating props <laughs> so do you all get together you stunt people and sort of have any meetups conferences where you can exchange ideas and well nothing really that happens more that happens more when you're on the you know on the job but you know like we we've gotten together at the rocks there are a lot of the stunt guys out there uh we ride you know Doug Coleman is is a very high a list uh stunt coordinator stunt man we ride all the time Mickey Jacamazzi and 
bunch of us going the rides throughout, you know, we'll go to backside of Ojai and uh, we'll go to Angel's Crest back in the, you know, mid nineties and late nineties, we we're getting all the bikes going to the, and those guys had the Ducati 916s when they came out, they were the sexiest bikes alive at the time. And I bought a Honda Blackbird and, you know, that, that was the day of the Dunlop 207. Those tires were just so sticky and we are just having a ball riding and we were racing at Willow Springs and I actually raced a Hayabusa at Willow Springs. <laughs> nice. So you kind of learn off each other, I guess, by just playing around together. And obviously when you're, when you're on the set, when you're on the job, you can uh, mix up ideas. You know who the guys are who can perform the stuff too. You know, it's a, it's a small world yet very large in Hollywood of the who's who's, you know, you, you know, and right now, you know, there's so many young kids now. I don't even know there's a lot of the spin kick previous kids that are, you know, doing great stuff on film as motion picture fighters. Um, so everyone's got their kind of niche, you know, mm. of doing their stuff. And I'm just going to, you know, most, we all talk, Hey, when you retire, you know, no one really retires. You, you retire when the phone stops ringing in Hollywood. <laughs> Or when you're too bent up, have you been injured very much? Yeah, yeah, I got some, I got some boo boos, but I'm okay. You know, I'm still. So, my, my whole goal in life right now is just keep, keep working, doing vehicular gags and golfing. I think if I can keep just doing that into my 80s, I'll be a happy guy. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever meet Evil Knievel? No, I did not. I did not. And there's a couple biopics out there in development that are, are going to make a, a true, you know, evil movie, which would be great. And I, I know some of the people involved and I'm, I hope this happens and it'd be nice to, you know, be involved on that project. You know, they just remade the fall guy. Remember that, uh, Steve, uh, Lee majors TV show. Yes. Yeah. Well, they, they made it into a feature film and they just wrapped a couple months ago down. They shot it in Australia. Oh, really? Yeah, starring uh, Ryan Gosling. So this should be interesting um, how it comes out. There's some really good gags done in that from what I've heard from some of the boys. So when you're, um, you know, when you're, you're on set with, and you're, you're doubling for somebody, do you get the situation where the actor actually is like, kind of, I want to do this myself? And Absolutely. It must be frustrating for, for the, the, I mean, a lot of the, by the nature of the beast, the guys that you're, um, filling in for are, are action guys that so they must be just gagging to have a go themselves some of these fantastic machines yeah and you know and jason is is a good rider you know momo is a good rider on bikes he has 94 motorcycles and they're all pre pre 1950s most of them he really loves the old harleys and the indians and and, and those kind of motorcycles but he's a good rider for sure um other times yeah the, most of these guys you know yeah they they do a lot of the fighting for sure but the tougher gags you know they they will not do it the the, the studio and the bond companies won't allow it they can't take a chance on the actor or actress going down you know yeah really mm. screw production over but yeah the, i mean a lot of these guys definitely uh, uh they're game to do their own stuff but there's a limit for sure. Is it kind of a moving animal when you, you get onto a job um, and you're booked to do a, I don't know how it works, a particular stunt or a particular scene? Does somebody come along and say, oh, well, you know, we need 
20 bikers over there doing this that and the other and they're like can you come and help us with that does it sort of become you know more more of a, a job than you thought it would be on each film or do you do a set stunt and that's it oh sure it's hey, all jobs you know no matter how cool it can be a job at times right and that's the you know the pre-production stuff making sure you get everything dialed in correctly um you know when when r2 did this specialty nose wheelie gag in italy you know he didn't use his, his own bike we had to set up the bike properly for him and i made sure i hey, look i'm gonna get you you know a, a supermoto front end really good front master cylinder brakes you know big 320 millimeter rotor and all that with a good uh caliper and he goes yes and here's here's what i'd like if you can get it and i made sure i got it for him because you know i don't want to set this kid up for failure no, you we want don't, it to be as safe as possible as well. Absolutely. So on the on that specialty gag, it was on the cobblestone through the street. You know, I, I come by as Jason, I kick this lantern and it falls to the street, blocking the street, right? About two to three, four feet high. And as the uh, other motorcyclist is chasing me, you know, he can't get over it. So he does a nose wheelie and then flips it 180. And then hops over it. It's 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 unbelievable. This kid did it on his own in Finland, and that's how we found him on YouTube. We integrated it into the chase. Oh, really? So you kind of head headhunted. You saw him and then then sought him out. Yeah, yeah. They they built it around him because it's such a cool gag. And so we had to lay down uh, a bunch of plywood, long strip of plywood with grip tape on it, because. He couldn't really do it on cobblestone, you know. He no. needed a smooth surface to pull it off. And uh, you know, after a bunch of takes, he got it and nailed it. And uh, it's great. It's in the trailer, and they they do highlight it and show it. I think they'll use the whole thing without any kind of edits or jump cuts in the film to show the coolness of the gag. Because so it was watching that, we'll know it's it's for real. Yeah. No yeah. CGI. Absolutely. absolutely right. Absolutely right. That so that you know, that's stuff we think about, you know, pre-production, set the bike setups and everything and, and and all that, like I did with the tires for, you know, adhesion and good grip so we can perform our stuff, you know, for film. Yeah, you've got to have a lot of knowledge about that sort of thing. And how yeah. do you go about when you say you, you get parts? Is that an easy thing for you to do if you're on a set? I mean, how do you go, go about? Okay, so sometimes you just get chosen to do a little thing, but usually... You know, I, I do a lot of stunt acting, regular acting as well. And we audition for that. You know, we have to audition. And with with COVID, it's kind of been good for a lot of people, actors and stunt actors, because you're self-taping in, in your home. So mm. I will set up a big gray background and my wife will film it and, and deliver the lines. And then we send, send it off to casting and then they will choose, you know, if you're if you're good, if you get the part or you don't get the part. Isn't it strange the way things have gone because of COVID, the way so many things have been worked in a different way to get around having to... Yeah, good and bad. Good and bad, yeah. Good and bad, yeah. absolutely right. Absolutely right. Getting back to some more bike stuff, I always, you know, when we did the Ojai and Crest rides and I was on the Hayabusa, first the Blackbird, the Hayabusa, and then my buddy... Uh, the stunt coordinator, Doug Coleman, 
and uh, Mickey Giacomazzi, they started riding BMWs and Mickey was throwing around an RT 1150 with saddlebags, wow. you know, like no one's business. And we were just laughing, you know, watching him. And then Doug bought the GS 1150, top case full saddlebags. And I remember we were going through Ojai and we're at a, you know, blazing pace all the time. It's, it's, it's fun, right? And I'm on my Hayabusa and I'm following him. I'm just watching the top case and the, and the saddlebags just flicking back and forth. And we're at speed and, and he's upright and I'm bent over miserable, right? After a couple hours and we pull over, he had just gotten the bike a couple of weeks ago and we're just laughing at the pace we're doing. And I said, I got to get one. That was a Sunday. The following Monday, I went down to Hollywood Honda and bought one. <laughs> bought it, bought it, yes. And I've never looked back. And it's such a fun bike because I'm upright and you can rail on them. So that was in 2002. After a few months of riding this thing, I said, ah, you know, I want the sticky tires that the Dunlop 207, you know, they really stick well. And, you know, with the BMW configuration of the 19 inch front end, 17 inch rear, they didn't make the wicked stickies back then, right? Yes. Yeah. So Most I started asking around, uh, can, can I put a 17 inch wheel on the front, you know, like regular race wheels? And someone said, yeah, you can. You can. AC Schnitzer out of Germany makes a pair of these 1717, you know, perfect. They handle the great sticky tires. So I, I, I bought a pair. And they said it'd be five weeks, but then it turned into five months and I got it. And I put oil and shocks on the Beamer. And right. I was one of the first guys in Southern California to make a Supermoto GS BMW 1150. Sounds and like it. Yeah, that was way ahead of times. It, it was, and it's great. It just railed. Um, to this day, I still have it. Like, you know, I, I get great lean angles on it. I was scraping the engine jugs around some turns in the canyons in Malibu. And which would sometimes de-weight the rear end if I popped that, that jug too much to the ground and then it'd skip and catch. But thank God the rubber is so sticky that the, the rear end. Moly. Yeah, it was really wild. And uh, I started practicing nose wheelies and I was rolling 150 foot nose wheelies on the BMW. And, and, uh, and then I built a 2016 the same way. And I, so I still have both bikes and, and they're great. And, you know, there's a guy, Chris Pfeiffer out of Germany, who I think he has passed away since, but he was doing amazing stuff on BMW, doing tricks and everything. I mean, just mind blowing stuff. What what these these kids are doing on motorcycles today, dirt and street, just defy defy me. I, 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 how how to start practicing that and having the balls to pull it off and 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 the in, intuition to try that. Right. Yeah, but it's all relative, and maybe that's just age as well. You get a bit more conservative, perhaps. But yeah, I mean, people were looking at you and still do. But same, same thing. You know, how on earth can you do that on that? I mean, sounds like you would win the bagger racing championship easily. <laughs> yeah, right. I, oh, which is a great racing thing. But you know, back yeah, I grew up in you know this cornfields outside Chicago on my Ninja, where you know shade shorts high on dope were our motto you know and just flying <laughs> around at 130 140 miles an hour as a stupid kid wheeling and everything and oh i'm still alive is grace of god <laughs> <laughs> yeah and doing things that that bike was not designed to, <laughs> to perform right. 
right, right, right. Buying everything. But I still, so I still have my uh, 1985 Ninja 900. It's mint. It's in my living room. Um, I did a lot of work to this thing where I punched it out to a 1315 cc stroker motor. Oh, and it was yeah. had so much power, I was snapping cranks. It's a bit expensive. Yeah, no, unbelievable. So I detuned it, used went back to the original liquid cool block and punched it out to a 1040cc kit. And I rebuilt that about six, seven years ago. Uh, Carrie Andrews, a famous AMA tuner in Southern California, rebuilt that and it's great. It's it's beautiful machine. It's in the living room now. The the wife lost that argument. And uh, it's, it's a piece of artwork. Yeah, and well nurtured. I mean, that's a friend for life. Yeah, no, it's great. Absolutely. I can never get rid of her. I've had it since I was 21. 21, man. Wow. Yeah, man. amazing. So, the only, by the way, the, the only bogus part about living here in St. Augustine Beach, Florida, the oldest city in the nation, by the way, it's there's no riding. No riding whatsoever. But what's neat is, you know, being in Southern California for 25 years and being biased to those roads, we were shooting Ant-Man 2 uh, in 2017. And me, another stunt buddy, a hell of a rider, Chris Palermo, a couple Italians that we are, we uh, decided to rent some bikes. We were shooting in Atlanta and we rented some Beamers. And we go, hey, let's go do this Tale of the Dragon thing all throughout the the Blue Ridge Mountains, and boy, what a mind-blowing, eye-opening fun that was. I had no idea. You know, the, the roads there are epic, just epic, and the different types of terrains from the long country roads to the tight stuff through the hills and along the rivers and everything, and the, and the roads were very, very smooth. My, my analogy there was if Southern California roads are 220 grit sandpaper, these were 400. Oh, really? Yeah, really, really smooth everywhere. Going from, you know, Dahlonega, Georgia, uh, up to the uh, uh, the Snake, and then North Carolina through Highlands, up to uh, Toleco Plains and Tennessee, and back down into Georgia is just a fantastic. So you did a lot of it. You did a, most of it. I've done a very small section, so I didn't, get, and uh, I, I'm not that sensitive to feeling <laughs> <laughs> every right, single right. thing on the motorcycle i'm just kind of <laughs> sure. the ride literally um but it sounds like you did a lot of that tail of the dragon yeah so now i'm six hours i'm six hours south of that so now i load the bike up in the back of the truck especially when i got a job in atlanta as we know that's the new hollywood east they film a lot there so uh yeah i do that and i get my yayas out there but i kept my old gs in uh Southern California still. So when I go back out there and visit the kids, I am carving the canyons, having a ball. Yeah, they are fabulous roads through the canyons there, for sure. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know when they're going to reopen the snake, but, uh, you know, Santa Monica Mountains, have, have uh, it's a great way. That was my backyard. I had a wicked Mini Cooper as well that I built and would train all the time in the canyons, two or four wheels to keep my skill sets up. And uh, actually, we had a of a couple of XR100 dirt bikes and I would poach the hiking trails to, to, to fine tune those skills as well, which is a ball, you know, the bike is just small enough to keep you out of trouble. <laughs> what a playground. 
yeah, it really, really was. I definitely missed that aspect. Have you ever been asked to do a stunt and said no? It's too dangerous or unfeasible? Not yet. Interesting. And who's your um, favorite actor to be with? Right now, it's it's Butler. But I, I, I've worked with Chris Pratt. I doubled Chris Pratt a couple of times, and I'm, I'm a terrible double. But it was doing a motor, some motorcycle stuff and, and a few other things. And that guy's another fantastic human being to work with. Um, Kurt Russell, great guy. Great guy to work with. You know, there's, there, there's a lot. You know, Vince has been really fun to work with throughout the years as well. Uh, when I doubled Arnold, he was fun. Uh, and my first guy I doubled was Dan Marino and Ace Ventura. Oh, <laughs> he was, he was, yeah, I, I had hardly any, any interaction with him, but it was just cool to say a double Dan Marino. Yeah. It's good to hear actually that, you know, you had fun with, with these sort of people because, um, you can imagine them being sort of a bit prima donna like, but, uh, sure. But you know, it, it's a lot of times that when I'm, when I'm working, it's just day playing and then. I, you know, I've come in and doubled many guys just for a couple of days, you know, right. And, and, but when you get, when you get weeks and you get the run of the film, then you get to know them better, especially if they're doing a lot of stuff, you know, you're really interacting with them fight scenes. You get obviously up close stuff and you can see, get to see where the strengths and weaknesses are of, of fighting and everything. And, you know, Gerard's last movie, the plane, we did a, a two and a half minute fight and it was all in one shot. You know, there are no cuts. And he did, he really kicked ass in that fight scene. Then I rehearsed it all for him and everything. And, and just, let's, let's, let's just go for it. We did a couple times in one and it's physically exhausting. You know, it's, it's fighting, throwing punches, taking punches, falling over a desk, hitting the ground. You know, we padded up for him just to, and you just frame out the pad a little bit. So, you know, they don't see that stuff. And, but it was great. He, he really kicked ass in that scene. It's a funny thing when you're, you're fighting that, you kind of you get the bit between your teeth don't you <laughs> oh yeah no yeah it's a good question the adrenaline gets going and sometimes you know even stunt guys you'll get you know you know, make a little boo-boo and might connect and, and and hit each other here and there but actors definitely can get more hyped up and here's another interesting moment um ron perlman was on a, a movie set and they just kind of taught him how to ride a motorcycle. He's not savvy at all. So he's, he's set at number one. They're getting ready to go. Now, he's at one end, and you got a PA or a little production assistant or an, an, an AD, a third or second AD, assistant director, giving him, giving him the cue to go, right? Yeah. What you don't want to do... <laughs> is this all right ron we're getting ready to go you know creating this hype. Oh, go go action 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 so he's now all amped up right he takes off way too hot and he crashes and thank god he was okay but you, you don't want to do that you know you want to okay and we're getting ready to roll okay and go ahead take off smooth go ahead ron action take off smoothly you know just give him a calm down give it give it an easy action cue not to amp them all not up so too super all... enthusiastic yeah yeah adrenaline whiskey throttles you know lets out the clutch and boom he's gone and they're like no we didn't want you to crash like that no no, no. yeah it's, it's stuff like that's out there and it's happening you know definitely a good amount of times and uh that's just 
that's just one story. So would you say you're fearless? Do you get anything like if there's a scene where you're involved in heights or fire, is there, or you just go with everything? No, everything. But there is stuff, you know, you, 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 you know, uh, wondering if you can pull it off and, and, and the butterflies are going. Absolutely. I, that'd be a liar. So how do you deal with that? Do you just keep telling yourself you can or do you just strategize? You trust your instincts. You know, the last thing you want to do is tell a stunt corner you can do something knowing you can't. A lot of people have done that to get the job. And then, you know, you go, you'll always get figured out in Hollywood. I've always said that, you know, if, if it's not what you know, it's who you know. But if that who you know gives you your shot, you better have your what you knows. Yeah. You can't fake it. You know, you, you can for a little bit. It only happens once and then word gets round. And uh... Yeah, you, know, you can fake it a little bit, I think, as a stuntman. And then eventually, you know, you'll get, you'll get figured out. So who's your sort of go-to if you have any query for thinking, look, this isn't going to work or how am I going to work this out? Ah, yeah, great. Absolutely. So uh, Jeff Dashnaw is is a, a, an epic stunt coordinator. He, he did a lot of Tarantino movies, uh, Anton Fuqua movies. Um, he's always my go-to guy. I remember he, he was coordinating Django and setting up the budget and I was helping him on the computer, write it out while he's thinking of other stuff. And I remember in his notes, he says, uh, if Tarantino asks something, no is not an answer. And I definitely taken that from him in any situation, you know, if a producer or director asks you, hey, can we do that? Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, I think we can. Let, give me, let me give it some thought, you know? So you're proactive and then you'll work it out. Exactly right. You know, and, and this happened a couple of times to me and I'll say, yeah, absolutely. I think we do it. And I'll, you know, five minutes later, I'm on the phone. I go, hey, Jeff, how the hell do we do this? <laughs> you know, I got no <laughs> ego. I'll, I'll, hey, if I don't know it, I'm going to find out from the best. And uh, absolutely. I think a lot of people have done that throughout Hollywood for sure you know we don't know all the answers and that's what's neat you know when you when you do a film before the start of it you get it's a big round table meeting and you go through the script and all the department heads are there from you know props to set dressing to stunts to special effects everything and you know when you're going through the script you talk hey so how do you feel about that what do you see happening here and oh and then we all talk and and every department is going to help you out when you don't know the answer. All of a sudden, they're going to say, "Oh, we can do that." Oh, yeah, great. You know that—that's right. That can work that way. And it's definitely a, a community in figuring out how to pull everything off. You know, I didn't realize you actually had like a meeting, so you do get to know most of the people involved with the film. Yeah, the pre-production, sure, meetings, meet everyone, get to know, and talk it out, figure it out. And do you have any say in post-production once everything's being chopped up afterwards? No, 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 no. You know, they, it's a fantastic and very important job and um, post-production. So do you get any say in that? Do you kind of look at things afterwards and go, hey, what do they do with that? Not really. No, that, that's all the director, studio and editor, for sure. You know, but they might have reshoots and they'll hire, you know, and sometimes it's not the same stunt team. It's uh, a, different, a different batch of guys to do the reshoots of a film and you get a whole different crew. Oh, really? They cut, and by that, point you know you know what you know they know what they need and you gaff it and coordinate it put it together and bada boom because mm, you could be off on another project by the time they need to do a reshoot yeah absolutely right another absolutely. part of the world correct so tell us a bit more about 
your Tarantino experience because I love that guy and his films. Yeah, I've always, of course, I, I could have worked on Django, but I was, um, I was doubling Vince doing something. And so I got a call to do uh, uh, on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We we're at the old Tommy's Hamburgers joint. And I was on a 1967 old Triumph 750 Bonneville, I think. And I was doing old school donuts, screaming and yelling. And it was a really good shot. He had a dolly track down low coming up, following a skateboarder, just the skateboarder on his feet and the skateboard, and then booming up to me doing donuts on this old Bonneville motorcycle, screaming, right, while I'm doing it. And I got a big beard and everything. And then I get in a little fight scene later. And, it, 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 and Tarantino was loving that moment because it was Joe, me, doing donuts. And afterwards, he goes, hey, this is great. It's like, hey, uh, Joe doing donuts, Joe nuts. Get it? The D silent. Like the jangle. That was hilarious. <laughs> and uh, so I was kind of really excited to, to see that because really, I, I've been cut out from a lot of scenes in movies. And, and, I, and you don't, I don't really usually care. But this one, I was bummed. I went to the movie and it never made the film. Oh. Yeah, and you know, just to be in a Tarantino, an iconic film like that, you know, would have been great. So, yeah, that's my uh, Tarantino moment. Deflated. Well, it sounds like a it sounds like a, a great experience, even even though it wasn't oh, yeah, actually it was. in the film. But absolutely, it was it was a few days of work working with him, and and I got to tell him uh, afterwards. You know, we know the same people, so we're we're talking. We were talking a little bit, and I, I got to tell him, I think, hey, I think Jackie Brown is a, a very underrated movie, and it's, it's a fantastic film. But he, he just said, hey, thanks. Thanks for telling me that. Thank you very much. Actually, that is probably, that is almost my favorite Tarantino. I've right? probably seen Jack it about five times. Yeah. I love, I love Jackie it's Brown. I just. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, old, it's an old film. But, uh, yeah. yeah. 97. A great one. Pam Greer, it just it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, if anyone's missed that, you know, watch Jackie Brown. Absolutely. And Tarantino does a, a cameo in each of his films as well, doesn't he? He appears somewhere in some form. I don't, I don't know if he was in Jackie Brown. Always. Yes, he was. I think he was a friend who came into the kitchen when they were in his right. apartment. You're right. You're but he's, right. He's, sometimes he's just a voice. Like if there's a phone call or something, he's not because always. Elf, Alfred Hitchcock, right? just a little shadow of Alfred in the background. Yeah, good for him. That's yeah, great. Absolutely. absolutely. What about other stunt guys or girls that you look up to? Or do you, do you all kind of have a mutual feeling of respect for each other? Or is there one person you hold on a pedestal? No, there's a lot of talent. You know, there's a lot of great, great talent out there. You know, what... Again, what we veterans talk about, you know, the, the art of the all-around stuntman is definitely diminished throughout the years, but it's, it's, it's coming back. And some of these third-generation kids, I mean, fourth, uh, uh, you know, Mickey Gilbert is a great, famous old cowboy stuntman. He doubled Robert Redford in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid doing the big jump off the, you know, the, the, the cliff into the water and all the horse work and everything. His, he has sons, three sons, uh, Troy, Lance, and Tim, and their kids are into it, and they're doing it, and 
you know, and they're being brought up to do it all from horses, cars, motorcycles, fighting, high falls, fire burns, you know, air rams, ratchets. And that's great to see. Um, as well as uh, uh, Sean Graham's son, Reef. And these kids are only 20, 20 to 25 years old. And they're doing great in the business, bringing back the old school stunts, doing it all. And uh, we need to see more of that for sure. Yeah, making it gritty. I went to Lone Pine and had a look at some of the areas around there where they filmed the old um, Western movies and they had the big old camera vehicles, all iron bars with cameras locked onto them, which, you know, would chase around the... Oh, yeah, and it came, you know, stunts started from the old cowboys, you know, doing the stuff, the, the Yakima Canut, it's the most famous, you know, old stunt, doing the Ben-Hur gag, you know, on the chariot and all the Lone Ranger stuff and, and just bunch of different things and you know they, those guys then went to Hal Needham who who started you know with smoking the bandit and Hooper stuntman turned oh yes second director turned director and he was very tight with Burt Reynolds who was another you know fan favorite of the stuntman and uh, mm. they did all the stuff and now we're seeing a lot of stunt stuntmen turned second directors turned first unit directors you know and Scotty Waugh came from a, uh, uh, his dad was a famous stuntman, Freddie Waugh, and Scott gave us Acts of Valor, which really put stuntmen on the map that they can direct. Okay, we, we, they can direct. And now his brother, Rick Roman, has done a couple of Gerard Butler movies. And then we got Chad Stahelski, who used to be Keanu Reeves' stunt double. He gave us all the John Wicks directing. And then Brad Pitt's stunt double, uh, Dave Leach, he gave us Atomic Blonde and Runaway Train and Hobbs versus Shaw. Now we got the stunt guys out there uh, doing, making successful A-list action movies. Yeah, it makes sense, actually, that that would be a natural progression now I think about it. Yes, but it wasn't at first. They're just, a lot of stunt guys are just given the, the low-budget movies to shoot and direct, and okay, that's what we're getting. But now it's a different world, and... Um, these guys are capable of, you know, shooting talking heads as well and creating, you know, a, a good scenes with, with famous actors and just dialogue without action as well. And that's great. Awesome. Kudos. Yeah, that's fantastic. What's yeah. the um, funniest thing that's happened to you then when you've been at work? Oh, God. <laughs> it sounds like you've had a lot of fun. Oh, I, I doubled Steven Seagal for eight movies. So there's some real, real wild stuff there. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go into any of that stuff. <laughs> but those are the good old days. It's sort of party nights as well as working all day. Oh, sure, well. sure. There's some, there's some fun stuff that goes involved too. Absolutely, absolutely. Is there any stunt that you'd like to have, um, or you would like if you had the chance to do again and sort of improve upon it? Is there anything you've gone, oh, if only we'd done this, that and the other? I don't, I don't know about that. I think you can always revisit, go back, uh, you know, as they say, right, that the best audition is the one on the way back home in your car, right? <laughs> I like that. And and I, I, maybe I can transpose the stunts as well. I should have done this. Oh, I wish I would have, you know, maybe laid the bike down this way. I, I don't know. But, you know, oh, if I would have done more speed here or hit it this, this angle, I, I, I don't know. I'm, yeah, there's stuff I've definitely thought of in the past. But you can't, you know, you just want some good stuff to be put on film, you know, because that's that lasts forever, right? Yes, yeah, sure. And you know, that that's a lot of, a lot of times too, as you're coordinating, 
you know, I've seen stuff that's complete mist and everything. And, you know, I don't know why they would use that cut for that. Or, you know, while on set, I remember saying to, you know, Vince or Jerry, you know, I'd say, look, that, that wasn't, it didn't sell on camera. Let's, let's really make sure this, it looks good. And I'll even tell the director, I go, come on guys, this is, this is my footprint too on film. And we want to make sure it sells. It looks good. So can you give me another shot? You know, and, and they'll, they'll usually be very accommodating for sure. Right. Because once it's out there, it's set in stone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Have you ever sort of wrecked a vehicle and then dang, we needed to do a retake and now we've busted that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're, if you haven't wrecked doing anything in Hollywood, then you're not pushing it and you haven't been in the spot enough, you know, for sure. Shit's going to happen. Because you're pushing the envelope. Absolutely. But that's, I'm going to say that's a small, very small percentage of the time, you know, but it's going to happen when you're in that situation and you're pushing any vehicle, stuff's going to happen. And do the manufacturers sort of loan you vehicles because obviously it's good for a manufacturer to be in a film or do all of these vehicles come out of the budget oh yeah everything comes out of yep fast and furious dennis mccarthy is the genius behind building all these cars for years i mean you know the, the dom car that black charger that we see in in all the franchise films yes oh my gosh you know i think there's 12 of them Every time we show, we wreck eight of them. And, you know, there's specific chargers for each scene, like camera mount cars. Uh, this one's doing the big jump. This one's the slide. This one's doing that, you know. So absolutely, you know, tons of, man, Dennis must have made 100 chargers over the years. I don't, I don't even know. I couldn't, even, I couldn't even have an answer for that. But, yeah, all the, all the stars, you know, as they say, the, the, the cars are the stars of the fast and furious franchise and uh they build some wicked motors and, and like like one we just did with where i was doubling jason momoa he's throwing around a after the motorcycle scene he gets in a 1966 ford fairlane we had an ls3 motor in that thing and that was that was great with a great you know drift brake that i can manipulate and slide and and that was fun to drive and it's fully roll caged and everything all of them most of them all of them are you know yeah they'd have to be yeah that was that was a fun that was a fun car man have you ever doubled as a woman a female actor i have not just wondered i mean there are female stunt artists and uh absolutely well you know just like the females and and the ethnicities you, you know you can't you can't do that anymore <laughs> no i know no but i'm just i'm you know yeah. i'm old school and females are a different um makeup as in physique um i just Correct. wondered if uh, if you'd actually a lot of guys have stood in for female actress because i mean if they want a particular stunt done um sometimes i guess that you know it's gonna have to be a man's job if i can say that in this day and age yeah absolutely right and yeah sometimes it does does still uh, happen where uh we just couldn't find a a female to do the gag doubling the girl or or a uh african-american or asian or you know hispanic person that can't do it then we do have to just find the right person yes yeah guy or girl what an interesting life you've led and it's it's great that you can still share your time both sides of the usa but it sounds like you go overseas a lot as well it's just wherever the films are being made yes exactly exactly and i'm and on on, on fast we're in 
yeah, we were in Turin, Italy, and we we rented bikes and did the Italian and French Alps, which is phenomenal. What a great ride that was. Um, and in Portugal, we rode, uh, we did a six-hour pro-enduro ride. That was absolutely epic on 450 Hondas. And uh, the, we, the guy took us, the guide took us on the trip and some of the sections where the World Pro Enduro Championships were at. So here we are, uh, <laughs> five of us, age range from 69, 65, 58, uh, 55, and 38. <laughs> and it was, it was grueling. I've never put my body through so much pain. It was, just, but it's exhilarating. This is some of the funnest riding we ever have. And, and Gary Himes was with us, and he's another uh, pro desert racer uh, turned stunt coordinator. And he used to de- be Steven Spielberg's stunt coordinator for many things. Um, and he was riding. And after that ride, I looked at Gary. I go, Gary, you have given me hope to know that. In 11 years, when I'm 69, I'm still going to be doing the same shit at speed. That is impressive. <laughs> he was beautiful. It was, it was great. It really was. Yeah, it's a very physical sort of lifestyle. Very. I mean, you, you laugh when I said you keep fit, but the whole, the whole of your life, lifestyle is keeping fit. You have to be. Yeah. Hey, did you, were you at The Rock? Did you ever know Harry House? No. Okay. Harry House was the godfather motion picture helicopter pilot of Hollywood. Oh, right. I would see Harry at the rock store almost every weekend. He's, he's seen my kids grow up almost, you know, for at least 10, 12 years. Harry was 87. Harry drove his BMW and he's one of 13 men in the United States to earn the million mile badge through documented service records from BMW. Goodness. And he was on 1.5 million miles on a plethora of different BMW motorcycles. And he was on his way to go to actually do his third Alaska trip. And I'd always talk to Harry and and Harry would say, ah, Joe, I never wanna, you know, I don't wanna die in a hospital being hooked up to tubes. And and he was on his way to his rock store, on the rock store one day and he had a heart attack and tumbled down the freeway. (laughs) And that's how he went. As he would have wished. Yeah, the guy was a gem. Just great. And again, gives me hope knowing I'm hope I can still ride at 87. Yeah, I'm sure you will be. Yeah. I'm sure you will. God be, willing. Sound as though you've got. Yeah. Did you take the racing any further? You said you did a bit of racing back in, in the early days, or did you fancy doing any more? No, we just all the stunt all the stunt guys got into, you know, the, the different tracks around Southern California, all California. And uh we do the Jason Pridmore star motorcycle classes and of course, we get about half a dozen of us out there, and Jason would come up to us, and of course, we're just balls to the wall racing. And he pulls aside, and he goes, "Hey guys, I know you're having fun, but you know, I got doctors and lawyers out there complaining that the <laughs> stunt guys are, you know, just going too fast for him. <laughs> Pretty funny, but we got it, you know. And yeah, we just raced at Willow Springs, you know, got to the to the expert class, and we were pulling some good numbers, you know. Most all the stunt guys were in the mid mid 20s on the big track at willow springs impressive and did you race at laguna at all or have you been around that track there never did laguna never did wish i had but all this all of all of california roadways is a laguna seca in a way 
Yeah, well, I haven't ridden Laguna Seca myself, but the roads around yeah, California are, are incredible. All of them. Mm. They really are. I mean, to pick a favorite would be would be difficult because uh, we've, we've ridden all over the USA. A lot of the USA is, as you're saying, Florida, sort of too flat and straight. There are some beautiful places. Oh, no, yeah, it's it's it, it's it's horrible. I'm like... I'm not not to say I'm like Jimmy Page, but I'm Jimmy Page on stage with a Les Paul or with no strings, with the bikes I have here, with, with my GS all super motored out, ready to rock. And you were famed at the, the Snake, the road you mentioned that's closed now in Malibu. You were the fastest guy on there. No, I, I just was very fast on my Beamer. <laughs> that's what I heard. There's some guys <laughs> out there. You know, there's some guys that were... Danny Coe was a former... <laughs> he had a Honda Hawk that he had a GSXR front end, I believe, and rear wheel. And I've never seen anyone slap a bike in the corners as fast as that guy. And there are some other guys on some, you know, on, on the you know Ducatis and Japanese bikes. But yeah, I mean, for for the Beamer and what I did, I mean, there. Yes, I was fast, but there's always someone faster. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a ball doing it on a on a beamer you know that that was the, the the fun of it demoralizing some people out there on a bmw well your reputa reputation in that area precedes you <laughs> oh that's that's nice that's, <laughs> i miss it that's for sure but it's also nice being eight minutes away from a nice warm ocean yes yes uh, that that's a bonus for sure i mean you've had an incredible life you've i mean sort of you just went into the stunt business you didn't sort of go to a careers meeting at school and they were telling you you should be a no I, a stunt, a stunt school opened up in uh, Chicago in 1988 a couple Canadians came down and you know charged a good amount I learned some stuff then I uh I was chosen out of a national tour for the Universal Studios Wild West stunt show in Orlando did that for a couple of years was getting agitated and I took a pirate show in Vegas and uh you know I was getting sick of former pit bosses gambling telling me how to do stunts I got the hell out of there and went to LA cold didn't know anyone just started hustling the movie sets and uh and got a little break doubling Hasselhoff on Baywatch and then uh the big break came doubling Steven Seagal and uh half of Stunts Unlimited which is a famous stunt group in in, the, in Hollywood Half of the guys were on Waterworld, and the other half were on Under Siege 2 with Dick Zyker, my mentor, gave me a break of a lifetime. And then I got to shine, you know, doubling Steven Seagal on that, and the rest is history. Well, by then you're living off your reputation. Obviously, you were reliable, good at what you did, because otherwise people wouldn't have booked you. So hats off. Chapeau, as they say. Yeah, yeah good yeah. work. I do. I, I, I really give all the credit to God. You know, I trusted him and I believe that God loves risk takers. And, and when you, when you go with him at your back, I think uh, anything is, anything is possible. That's good to hear. You've got really um, sort of a grateful attitude. I am, I am for sure. And I think um, actually these days, actors seem to be going for longer. I don't know if it's because I've, people I've grown up with are still, sort of acting and making films in in their 80s etc so i think you've got a way to go 
Yeah, well, like I said, you know, it's not, the body dictates and if the phone's ringing. <laughs> Off you go. Um, and so how many bites have you got yourself overall? Yeah, I just got, uh, I got, I got five. The, the Mint Ninja, 85 Ninja 900, the 2002 GS Supermoto 1150, the 2016 water-cooled GS 1200 Supermoto, and then two XR 100 dirt bikes that I keep fit on, doing little wheelies and just tight stuff, you know? Yeah, good for trying stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. I mean, it's it's a fascinating life from where I'm sitting. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I mean, this is this is definitely fun to rehash and thinking about. I think a lot of people will appreciate you giving a few insights into how you started and uh, what actually goes on. Yeah, happy to share it and. Uh, uh, yeah, you can you can do anything you, you know. Anyone listening, if you're in a little podunk town and uh, you got some dreams, you can leave. <laughs> you can leave and pursue. It's true. <laughs> it really is. Well, thanks a lot, TJ. I appreciate it. Okay, I love you and leave you. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, let's uh, hopefully have coffee soon at the Rockstar. See you in the credits. Hopefully, see you soon, because you won't see me in the credits. <laughs> 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 Have a good one. Be safe, TJ. Thanks. And you. Bye.